Trading in futures products entails significant risk of loss, which must be understood prior to trading and may not be appropriate for all investors. Good morning, everybody. It's Friday, July 28th, 528 a.m. Central Time. Markets are off a little bit this morning. Mackenzie, Matt Bennett, good morning. Uh, Matt, you're in Iowa. You're going to do some television today. Yeah, market to market this weekend. So it's a six-hour drive from home. I usually go over there the night before. That way I can work on Friday because it's uh, – and driving it both ways in the same day just gets kind of old. So I uh, came over on Thursday night. Been there, done that. Don't blame you. Uh, I want to start off with a non-headline today. So we have no uh, no bullish Black Sea headline this morning. And this week, it seems as if without the Black Sea headline, without the, the missile attack, without the um, – attack on a port, whatever, like we can't rally the corn market and we can't rally the wheat market. Is that is that our only hope short term for a rally in those markets, you think, Matt? Well, it sure seems like it. As you know, Joe, this weather's not exactly great. You know, um, in June, you saw uh, late June, early July, you saw kind of a breakdown and some of these areas were getting widespread rainfall. You look on the radar, you're getting a little pop-up shower here and there. But I mean, it's 75 degrees in central Illinois as we speak. I mean, it didn't get cool overnight. Uh, the weather's not exactly conducive, so you'd think it'd kind of keep the market alive. But this week, if anything, has showed me that it's got more to do with the Black Sea region than it does with uh, weather, especially at times whenever corn's rallying more than what soybeans if it was weather soybeans would be leading the way because soybeans still have uh, more to figure out as far as production what corn does and even yesterday about this time yesterday we had an overnight attack in in ukraine on one of the ports and the market rallied like during the overnight and then it gave it all back during the day session we finished lower it seems like that's kind of like the only thing that's going to push us here short term at least in terms of the corn market and the wheat market uh you mentioned weather why don't we start off with weather here my graphics are being slow again today go ahead so rain moved across the illinois wisconsin border this morning additional rains move over western north dakota the next seven days offer only scattered rainfall and lacks widespread corn belt coverage this morning's 10-day euro model has better rain chances for missouri north dakota south dakota and nebraska heat will be a factor across the corn belt again today areas of nebraska iowa missouri illinois and areas further south may see temperatures in excess of 100 degrees some extreme heat is possible again during the middle part of next week matt we talked on uh one of our premium videos earlier this week about the extremes in weather like so you had an extremely dry june then you had a big shift toward a wetter pattern like first half of july and now we very much shifted back um drier hotter what do you think this means for crop prospects it doesn't seem like it would be good to me yeah i mean okay so here's the thing just actually went out in my field since we did Wednesday. Uh, the reason why, Joe, is because we had sweet corn. And so we've got a sweet corn patch right next to a cornfield. Um, yeah, I'll tell you this. I was shocked at how good my corn looked in that particular field. And so what I'm going to say is this. I think there's a chance on some of these hybrids, Joe, that if the producer uh, agronomically is sound as can be and has their stuff in good shape, that the rain timing was actually really good. Now, I'm not saying Illinois is going to go 215 like, or 214 like last year. That's definitely not going to happen in my opinion. But I do think some of this corn could be pretty decent. So uh, the thing is, is that uh, the extremes to me tell me that you can't expect anything great, though, whenever you look at the drought monitor. Uh, how in the world are these hybrids, even though they're great, 
uh, how, how are they going to be able to perform under such duress? So, you know, I still think you're looking at probably closer to 170 than 180, maybe a, a fair amount closer. Uh, but at the same time, I think some corn could be really good. I, and I'll just put, just tell you what I'm looking at, Joe. Uh, we went through pollination in good order. We're hot as can be, probably going to see tip back, probably going to lose some kernel depth. We don't get some more rain. But I still think a field like I was in on Thursday is going to go – I think there's a really good chance of 230 bushel corn, and, you know, and I'm not going to complain about that. Is it too early to talk about soybean yield potential? I would say so. And here's why. I mean, you know, you remember 2012, you know, I remember 2012, August first uh, or second, someone asked me on a, on a radio program, what, what do you think your beans will yield? And I said, 25 bushel. And I firmly believe that, you know, and then you had the, uh, the hurricane come up the Gulf. Uh, all of a sudden in central Illinois, we had five inches of rain over the course of five or six days. And my bean crop was a, a bushel shy of 50, you know, and so um, it's it's a bit early, but I would say the bean crop definitely is is uh, subsequent to, um, you know, a decent yield uh, under, I guess, a decent amount under 50 if we don't start getting some rain, because the bottom line is, you know, you can stress the heck out of a bean crop. If you get rain at the right time, yes, they'll yield. But if you don't, uh, I'm sorry, but you just can't do anything without moisture. So I'm concerned about bean yields. I don't think USDA changes yields in August as far as beans are concerned. I don't know about you, but if they do, I don't think it'll be much. You mentioned the drought monitor. Let's jump to that. So USDA released weekly drought monitor data yesterday. The majority of the Corn Belt was drier than normal uh, this week. The driest conditions were found in Minnesota, Iowa, southern southern Wisconsin, uh, northern and central Illinois, Indiana, and southern Michigan. Significant precipitation fell over central Missouri, southern Illinois, and western Kentucky, with some of these areas receiving well over 200% of normal for the week. Following trend, the majority of the U.S. plains were dry this week. So when we look at the percentage of U.S. areas experiencing drought. Corn country, 59%. Soybeans, 53%. Winter wheat, 47%. Spring wheat, 43%. And cattle country, 37%. So we saw a a jump in the areas experiencing drought. U.S. corn areas experiencing drought jumped 4% on the week. Soybeans jumped 3% on the week. I think I asked Brian this uh, last week, Matt. I mean, if you would have shown me this drought monitor back in like March and said, hey, this is what the drought monitor is going to look like on July 25th. Does this does this look like a record corn and soybean yield situation to you? No, not not at all. It, it really doesn't. And it, you know, and so I guess the next question probably would have been, what do you think price action looks like? And right. obviously, uh, given those spring insurance prices right now, things don't look that great. But we've got to remember, I mean, heck, Joe, you and I, everyone in the industry sat here and was hoping, waiting uh, for demand to actually show up. I mean, export demand obviously has just been uh, nothing short of pathetic. But you're right. This does not look a rec- like a record type yield. I mean, I still see a little banter and I'm not throwing shade at anybody, but I still still see some banter about yields, you know, uh, for instance, on Twitter, you know, with with some folks thinking we can still hit trend line. And I just if we do, OK, I'm not saying we can't. I, I think it's very unlikely. But if we do, uh, these hybrids are flat out incredible. Uh, I do think some of these hybrids excel under stressful conditions. Uh, but I, obviously, you're not going to get a bumper crop without rain. 
And so uh, some of the areas that have been uh, just hit really hard, you know, parts of Wisconsin, Missouri, uh, Minnesota, uh, you know, uh, even parts of the Dakotas, you know, some of these areas, uh, I'll tell you what, it's going to be awfully rough. I mean, I've talked to producers of Missouri that don't think they'll have, you know, 30, 40, 50 bushel corn. And so, um, you know, I sure feel for those guys. So on their on the balance sheets, USDA currently their most recent projections is that we're going to have a record national corn yield, record national soybean yield. I don't think the market is trading that. I think the market is trading the idea that the corn yield is somewhere in the mid to low 170s nationally and that the soybean yield may be closer to like a 50, 50 and a half rather than a 52. That's why the soybean market uh, partially has been so strong as of late. I know we backed off yesterday and, and this morning, but overall it's been an incredible amount of strength. I mean, don't you, don't you think we're, tra- we're, we're actually trading something that's quite a bit lower than what USDA has penciled in? Yeah, I totally agree. I think a lot of people uh, hear you say that and they shake their heads, say, oh, I don't know about that. Well, I, I know about that. And here's why, Joe, you and I both know uh, demand just on corn just hasn't been great. I think on soybeans, I mean, you're at an awfully good price already, first of all. Second of all, uh, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that world supply of soybeans is, is not tight in any stretch of the imagination. And so uh, domestically, we're awfully tight. Obviously, the soybean meal market's been very impressive. Soybean oil at times has been very impressive. You know, I mean, uh, since May 31st, I believe soybean oil is, is, is uh, up uh, around 50 percent you know or uh, you know it, well it's about 20 20 dollars i mean that's an incredible move i mean yeah. uh, you've gotta you've gotta pay attention to those sorts of things but world supply beans are not tight so um you know as a, as a soybean producer or someone who talks to soybean producers i try to tell them you know um, there's a lot of years you'd have given your right arm for um, 11 and $12 beans and you're sitting here turning your nose up at 14. I understand uh, why you're doing so, but you've got to look at the uh, economics of it because you can make a lot of money at uh, 13, 50, $14 beans. You mentioned demand. We did have uh, another flash sale reported in soybeans yesterday. USDA reported a flash sale of U.S. soybeans to unknown destinations on Thursday. U.S. exporters sold 256,000 metric tons of soybeans to unknown destinations for delivery during the next marketing year. For the week, U.S. exporters have sold a total of 757,000 metric tons of soybeans to unknown destinations for the next marketing year. Let's jump straight to the uh, weekly report. U.S. corn export sales increased last week. Net corn sales of 314,200 metric tons for the current marketing year were up 33% from the previous week and 15% from the prior four-week average. For the next marketing year, net corn sales of 335,800 metric tons were reported with the largest buyers being Canada, Mexico, and Taiwan. Net soybean sales of 198,500 metric tons for the current marketing year were up noticeably from the previous week and up 73% from the prior four week average for the next marketing year. Net soybean sales of 544,600 metric tons were reported with the largest buyers being China, Mexico, and Egypt. Net wheat sales of 233,200 metric tons for the next marketing year were up 37% from the previous week, but down 17% from the prior four week average. Old crop uh, corn and soybeans. We're we're 
very, very close to what USDA's uh, predicting or, or projecting in terms of those old crop numbers. So I don't think that they need to make very many changes. The The issue that we're going to start to focus on is new crop. In new crop corn, we're running a 2.7 million metric ton deficit versus last year in terms of the book of sales. And that could actually be made up fairly easily if if you see some big buyers step in. Soybeans are much worse, a 9.4 million metric ton deficit versus the same period last year. Despite these recent flash sales, it's still a really ugly book of sales. The only uh, year where we had a poorer book of new crop sales uh, in soybeans was 2019 when we had the trade war going on. So you spoke about demand, Matt. I, I mentioned yesterday, I think the soybean market's job to some extent is to uh, reduce export demand through higher prices. Oh, I, I, I totally agree. You know, and I, I think what's going on, though, uh, yes, the new crop book stinks. I, I believe the Chinese are well aware, I guess, of what I was just talking about, which is world supply. I think they've just been very hesitant in their purchases. Uh, they're going to purchase beans. Are they going to do as much as what they have been doing off of the U.S.? Um, my gut feeling is that the answer is no. You look at the size of the Brazilian crop, it leads me to believe that um, they're only going to take off of us what they absolutely have to and what logistically makes sense. Yes, they're going to buy beans off the P&W. Uh, they're probably going to buy some out of the Gulf, and I, I don't know how much. And so, you know, I think when it gets right down to it, I'm like you. I mean, the job of the market is just basically to reduce what 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 our export book's going to be uh, or the price. You know, price is going to have to get things spurred at some point. Uh, where's that going to be? Well, it's not going to be at 14 bucks, and that's just my opinion. Well, and it's got to come out of exports. It's not coming out of crush because the margins are too good. There's too many For new sure. plants going up. It's the, the demand has to come out of exports. And that's assuming that um, a lot of other things are correct. Like the acreage numbers are correct. Uh, we're correct about the idea that the yield number is going to be lighter than expected. You start to work with this stuff in the balance sheets and you come to the conclusion that something's got to give on the demand side. And it's, it's yep. probably going to be exports. Uh, North Dakota spring week two wrapped up yesterday. Yep, so dry conditions are hindering North Dakota spring wheat. Crop scouts on the tour, on the North Dakota wheat tour, predicted an average of 47.4 bushels per acre, up from the tour's five-year average of 40.1 bushels, but down from the 2022 estimate of 49.1 bushel, bushels. The USDA is projecting, uh, excuse me, the USDA is projecting North Dakota spring wheat yield at 47 bushels per acre, down from 50 bushels in 2022. Cold, wet weather delayed spring planting and subsequent dry weather has stressed the crop. The most recent drought monitor showed 44% of North Dakota spring wheat in some level of drought. The spring wheat crop, um, uh, for those of you guys who are unaware of how this works, so we've got a bunch of different classes of wheat that we grow in the United States. Spring wheat up north, which is like six states, it's the Dakotas, Minnesota, Montana, Idaho, in Washington, I think that's 25% of U.S. wheat production. The HRW crop in the Southern Plains is 33%. SRW is 24%. And then you've got white and Durham. That's about 17%. Matt, what do you know about what's going on in North Dakota specifically? Well, I mean, it just depends on where you're at. But for the most part, you know, parts of North Dakota have gotten a little bit on the dry side. I don't know. As far as this wheat crop is, is concerned, I don't think that it's going to be a monster, but it's certainly going to be better than what it's been at times. I think last year, you know, pretty decent crop overall. Uh, but I, to be honest, Joe, I mean, I felt like this wheat market was a little rich. Uh, you and I talked about that the other day. I think that we've got enough wheat. And I guess uh, uh, I know that sounds very simplistic, uh, but I just don't feel like we have anything to be super concerned about whenever it comes to wheat supply domestically or on a global level. 
Yeah, if um, if the Black Sea thing ever turned into a, I mean, it is a real thing, but if it got substantially worse, maybe you'd see more export business and you're just not seeing it because we're overpriced. Right. And I think the thing about it, and I might have said this the other day, is that, you know, whenever I look at these conflicts like this i mean the thing is is that that wheat is there okay uh, yes it, it may be restricted in where it can go for a while i i know that that uh, disrupts uh uh disrupts the world market and it certainly can cause some price reaction but the bottom line is the wheat's there and it's going to find a home at some point and so whenever i know that global wheat supplies are where they're at i don't get super excited about it. you and i can both sit here and watch a 50 cent up move and i know that that's fun to catch if you're playing the wheat market so to speak but but, you know, uh, I you should you not. You your, should not. Play I think the you wheat need market. to have your head examined if you play the wheat market. Yeah, you sh- but you should just, not. Yeah, I agree. Okay, we had some GDP numbers out yesterday. A little bit uh, better than expected. Second quarter U.S. GDP was stronger than expected. Gross domestic product grew at an annual rate of 2.4% in the second quarter, surpassing the 2% growth in the first three months of the year. After a slight de- after a slight downturn in early 2022, the economy expanded at a rate of more than 2% over the previous year. Economic growth has now risen to a level comparable with the rate recorded recorded in the decade before the pandemic. As inflation continues to cool and the labor market remains strong, the the probability of a soft landing increases. Many economists are still predicting slower economic growth by the end of the year, but recession fears have declined. Uh, My take here, you said the probability of a soft landing increases. My take here, which is not even that controversial anymore, is that the soft landing has already been achieved. The Fed has raised their benchmark uh, Fed fund rate by more than 500 basis points. We went from zero to five and a half percent in the course of uh, what, just a little bit over a year. Inflation has fallen like a rock. CPI has been down every single month since June of last year. Unemployment's 3.6%. The stock market is in an, within an earshot of all-time highs. The labor market's strong. Wages are strong. Um, I don't see the recession. If the recession was going to happen, it was going to be first and second quarter of 2022. And you did have two consecutive quarters of declining GDP, which uh, for a lot of people equals a recession. That's not how it's defined, though. The uh, National Bureau of Economic Research, they get to be the official recession scorekeeper. That's what the White House says on their website. There are no fixed rules or thresholds. So they, this group of people, economists, uh, determined that that was not a recession in the first and second quarter of 2022. So I don't know, Matt, I don't see the recession. Do you? I really don't see the recession. I don't think that it's going to be all smooth sailing. I mean, these interest rates, I mean, it's no secret that the U.S. Uh, uh, citizen, if you will, is is uh, in love with debt. And that's a problem whenever you've got uh, increasing interest rates. But at the same time, it sure seems like we've navigated these waters better than what I ever thought that we would. I did feel like more of a recession would be coming on. I agree with you. Uh, we've pretty much seen the soft landing. So I think it'll be interesting to see how they handle interest rates moving forward forward because i don't know i mean obviously we can't keep going the way we've been going uh, but i don't think they'll be able to raise them uh, significantly more than what we already have i just don't think the economy would be able to handle it uh side note on, on higher rates i had a few comments come in yesterday um and and they said like 
Joe, you don't know that you don't understand that higher rates are bad for farmers. Like, no, I, I do understand it because I, I see the budgets all day long and I see these operating notes that are eight and a half, nine percent. I mean, this is this is not ideal. And an inflationary environment is actually probably a good thing in net for the U.S. farmer. If you get your real high commodity prices, I mean, yeah, you pay more at the grocery store. But if you're a farmer and your livelihood is corn and soybean prices or wheat prices, commodity prices, I mean, inflation is actually probably a net positive for you, is it not? Yes, inflation being that positive for sure. I do think that uh, the producer also, after the last couple of years, is in a pretty good debt situation. I've got yeah. to think that, uh, you know, their debt isn't what it was, like, for instance, in, say, 2018 or 19. Uh, but at the same time, uh, there's still a fair amount of debt out there. You know how it is. Anytime uh, we make good money, we typically keep it in the system. And so, uh, you know, I do think there's been a lot of uh, bins built, a lot of sheds built, and a lot of land bought over the last couple of years. So uh, I just, uh, I've been cautioning my producers to be to be a little bit wary of the fact that uh you know um, interest rates um you know could catch up with them i mean your interest costs could basically be double this year of what it was the last few years if you're borrowing the same amount of money and so uh, you got to be you got to be careful there i had a few people ask about the the 80s and like what happened in farming during that time frame and this is a drastically different situation uh anybody who's got land bought on on a note they've probably got a long-term fixed rate at what, three or 4%, you know, from a couple of years ago. Whereas in the eighties, a lot of what happened was because there were like all these variable rate loans and nobody ever thought interest rates were going to be 15, 16%, but that's exactly where they went. Right. I, I totally agree with you, especially whenever it comes to land, because that's where some of your bigger issues came in. I do think that the one thing that um, maybe could be comparable is what it's taking to put the crop out. You know, so I've, I've spoken with my dad about this. Some of me, I was born in 74. So, you know, I do remember it. Uh, and I remember that times were tough. But of course, I didn't remember the intricacies. But, you know, he said, you yeah. know, back then, a lot of guys were borrowing fifty, seventy-five thousand dollars $75,000 to put a crop out, whereas now it's a million. And so mm-hmm. uh, if it's 18, percent of even a hundred thousand you know that's eighteen thousand dollars of interest costs and you know if it's nine percent of a million i mean that's a different ball game and so i do think that uh, the cost to farm and what it takes to put a crop out is certainly going to be something that we're all going to have to be very wary of and, and cautious of whenever it comes to uh, what our interest costs are because they could add up pretty quickly just simply on our operating uh, situation yeah, the operating thing is one thing. Um, the cost of storage is another thing. Like people have been able to play with bins with very low yep. interest rates for the last 15 years. And now you have to consider the cost of interest if you've got money borrowed against the grain that you're storing. There's a lot of uh, complicated thing, things that become more complicated with higher rates. Absolutely. Uh, Mackenzie, cattle were mixed yesterday. Uh, yeah, uh, feeders ranged anywhere from 62 cents lower to 20 cents higher. Live cattle futures were seven cents lower to 90 cents higher. Cash cattle cash cattle trade still has not taken off this week. Box beef values were basically steady on the day on Thursday. Choice ended the day at 302.86. That was down 48 cents. Select ended the day at 279.76. That was down five cents. Matt, are you still cattle bull? Yeah, I mean, overall, but, you know, it's it's hard to just keep uh, this thing churning whenever your cattle on feed uh, continue to be uh, what I would say adequate or more than adequate. But I mean, what do you what do you expect for these folks if they can get fifteen hundred to two thousand bucks out of a heifer? I mean, turn her into cash. You know, these guys are getting right financially. It's a nice thing to see. I'm happy for them. Uh, but one of these days they're going to start retaining heifers. We've already talked about this. When they do, I do think that that could be uh, your next leg up. I'm still a two hundred dollar fat 
cattle guy. Um, you know, I think that it's going to happen. Uh, obviously, it's a futures market, so maybe it doesn't. Uh, but I think that the recipe is there, and I think at some point you might see it. That's not a trade recommendation for Matt. Uh, Mackenzie, nope. there's been some drought healing, uh, if you want to put it that way, out west. What do you make of that and its uh, impact on the market? Um, I do think eventually people will start to retain heifers, as Matt just said. It is incredible the amount of rain that we've gotten from central Nebraska to the west. Um, so, yeah, eventually, as Matt said, people are going to retain heifers, and that's the next step for this market to move higher, in my opinion. Outside markets this morning, guys, U.S. dollars off just a little bit. The S&P is back higher after an ugly day yesterday, up 20 points. The Dow's up 60. Bonds up a little bit. Gold's up 7 bucks. Crude oil down 23 at 79.86. Uh, Matt, break a leg on TV today. Everybody have a nice weekend. Uh, we'll talk to you Monday.